Hey, Gotta Watch people. It's Phil Goth here again with the Gotta Watch podcast. Hey, I want to thank you for coming back, downloading, and keeping supporting the show. One of the things that I did talk to you guys about last year was I told you that we were going to keep trying to improve the audio quality and the content of the show. And so this week, I hope that you notice a little bit of that. So we have purchased some new equipment to try to increase the sound quality, get a little bit better. I'm still working the kinks out of it, so bear with me. I hope that you do notice and and it will keep getting better as time goes on. And then as far as the quality and content of the show, this week we are doing something a little bit different. So after our, our last conversation with Mike Stubbs, we got quite a few messages about things dealing with foster care and adoption and building families non-biologically, I guess would be a way to put it. We reached out to uh, some people who work in foster care and then also some people who have been involved in the foster care system and we were so fortunate that they would participate with us. This week we have Casey O'Day Goldstein who is in the foster care system as an employee as well as somebody who participates uh, with foster care and then also Jake Benneke who he has been involved in foster care for for quite a while as well and so they are both great resources and I really look forward to you here in the show so sit back and enjoy thank you are fortunate enough to be sitting down with Casey O'Day Goldstein and Jake Benneke. One of the reasons why we have two people today is after the conversation that we had on the last show with um, Mike Stubbs, he touched on a lot of things and one of them was foster care. And so with that, I got a lot of people asking me questions about How do we, you know, what is foster care or people who were maybe struggling with pregnancy, those kinds of things. I got a handful of them. And then previously last year, I recorded a show with a, with a guy who came through foster care and I had a lot of feedback on that and I didn't know what to do with it. I'm so glad that you guys were able to come and sit down with me today. And one of the reasons why we have two people is because we're fortunate enough to We're fortunate enough to have Casey, who works for Four Oaks Adoption and Foster Care, to kind of walk us through the process. And so with that, I'd I'd love for Casey to tell us just a little bit about who you are, what you do, those kinds of things. Can Can you fill us in a little? Sure. Well, as you said, my name is Casey O'Day Goldstein. I'm the program director for the Des Moines Service Area Foster and Adoption. Uh, connections through Four Oaks. And so what that means is the state of Iowa is divided into five separate regions for foster care adoption purposes and child welfare. One of the areas that we serve is the Des Moines Service Area, which is composed of 15 different counties, and I'm the director of those 15 counties in the Des Moines Service Area. What we really are focusing on within this uh, foster care is for the recruitment, the retention, the training and support to foster and adoptive families. So you're kind of the go-to person then when somebody wants to enter the foster care system as somebody who wishes to host a child. 
you're kind of the, the contact to get them involved in the system. Yeah, so the way that it works is when a family is interested in foster care on their own, um, they can visit our website, they can call in. We have an orientation that can be completed in person or online or information sent to them via email. Gives an overview of what this process will look like, what is expected of them, the criteria. Then after that, uh, and process record checks, and fingerprints, they can be enrolled into what we call a TIPS MAP class. And what that is, it's a pre-service training that is required for all families to complete prior to becoming a licensed foster family or an approved adoptive home. And that is 30 hours of classes that are generally held one night a week in the Des Moines area. We have locations in Sheraton, Ames, Ankeny, and in Des Moines where those classes are held. And upon completion of those classes, there is a home study worker who will be meeting with you and your family in your home, doing some assessments, safety checks, information to complete that home study, and then making a recommendation to the Department of Human Services on an approval. Okay. Well, that sounds very involved. So I'm sure we're going to dig more into that. But before we do, um, Jake, you have experience in the foster system, right? You kind of have, have been through it as a parent and know the ins and the outs and those kinds of things. That's one of the reasons why we brought you in. You came recommended by a few people as somebody who could maybe speak to what it's like to have a child and take that child through the system, whether that means, you know, that ideally that home place gets put back together uh, you know, I don't know the background on you very well about the adoption side, but, um, yeah, but you've been through that. So could you just let the listeners know a little bit about you two so that they kind of have a background on what's going on in the conversation? Yeah. As you said, my, my name is Jake Benneke. We, uh, started this journey roughly about seven years ago. My, my wife and got married, you know, as we went through our first year, few years of marriage, um, we figured out that we weren't going to be able to have our own biological children. So we definitely really started to research our different options. It definitely was a journey. And through lots of prayers and consideration, uh, we really found the need to help families that were here in the Des Moines metro area. So you're not just involved in the foster system, and you're actually walking with people who are coming into it as looking for children and looking to build their family that direct. Part of what you do then is you're helping other people walk through the foster system and get involved in different things like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We, we definitely, we take mentoring from all different roles, whether it be helping to mentor families that are interested in foster care. And then, you know, on the flip side of actually taking a child a placement, you know, um, could be that sometimes, you know, that you go pick them up directly from the hospital after they're born, depending on what the situation is, and, and bring them into your care. Uh, we kind of talk about our family. It isn't a child coming to our family, but a family going to a child to help them in need. That's a great way to look at it because, I mean, you think about it, and as much as having children sometimes fulfills our family and builds it, if you have a child that, that is in need of that love and that compassion, you're going as a family to say, hey, 
there's somebody who will love and who will care on you. And I mean, that's that's an amazing way to really look at it. I love it. Yeah. And, you know, as being a person of faith, you know, one of the big things is not only are we looking at the child, but we're also looking at those biological parents, not only biological parents, but the entire bi- biological family. So as they're going through the situation, there's a lot of need from everybody and a need for a lot of support. And so one of the things that we look at is not only can we help the child in the foster care situation, but how can we also help these parents that are in the situation they need? The, the big thing when it comes to foster care that um, we definitely took a while to realize is because we, we were brought up very in very fortunate circumstances. Um, on both my wife and I. And a lot of times you brought in these situations, foster parents don't have it, or biological parents don't have anybody to rely on, whether it be different family circumstances, choices that they've made that have impacted their lives. But at the end of the day, you are that support system for them. Coming from a, a home that was split, you know, my parents, my parents were divorced and I even relate somewhat to that, you know, just being able to to have somebody to teach you both things, to have a full family unit that builds a strong a strong child, you know, and, and builds a strong person that grows up to be successful. And, you know, and then after having children myself, I, you know, I have two biological children, but after having those kids, nobody gives you a manual, you know, you don't know how to do it. And so it's, you're kind of up in the air and you have to learn and and I realized that that's sometimes that's a process for me that was a process it took me years before I really felt like an active participant in my family as horrible as that probably sounds because I just didn't know what to do with the kid and it brought out selfishness in me at times because I couldn't do what I wanted to do life was no longer just about me and so I realized that somebody who maybe didn't have that strong beginning when you have children it throws a wrench into all that because it sure did for me right i know one of the questions that was asked was how does somebody get into foster care like what is the first step somebody's interested maybe they went to your website they or wherever their location is they can probably google foster care whatever county they're in right is that a an yeah. easy way to do it? Yep. An easier way, if you're in the Des Moines area and surrounding, uh, we have an 800 number to contact. That phone number is 844-380-2485. Or you can visit us at our website, which is fouroaksfamilyconnections.org. That's all one word, fouroaksfamilyconnections.org. And you can click on the information there that can get some questions answered that you may have. Also to kind of educate yourself a little bit about what are the next steps for you as far as background checks, an overview session, or an orientation to this process, the classes, and that expectation. Uh, just so you're familiar with how to get started with this process. And it's really good for families just to kind of check into that. One of the things to always consider and think about is... This is a decision that's not just impacting you and your spouse. It's impacting your children if you have children. It's impacting future children if you don't have children and are thinking about it. But it also impacts your extended family as well. They will have interactions with the, the child or children that you 
you know, are fostering, um, if it results in adoption, they will be grandparents, aunts and uncles to the children that you have. And so having a strong support system is really vital. There are many emotions, roller coasters, and a whirlwind of events that are going to happen during this time. And so to have a very strong, supportive connection and support system is just absolutely crucial. So when you're looking if this is right for you, or maybe it's something that you've talked about, you really need to talk with your extended family members and those outside of your family that you consider family uh, and those that are supportive of you to, to really help you and to gauge them too, um, because it is a life-changing decision that you will make. Yeah, and I think one of the neat things that we heard from Mike Stubb's story was that he would just get a phone call and go and pick up a child. You know, it, it happens right now. When I had children, I had nine months to get ready. I, I could build the crib ahead of time and paint the walls and make sure there was clothes and diapers and, you know, do all of these things instead of having, hey, we have a child, come, please come pick him up if you would, you know, if you'd like. And next thing you know, 12 hours later, you have a child in your home. Yeah, That's- 12 hours is generous. Sometimes it's a half an hour or how soon can you get down to one of the local hospitals. And so I think you hit a really unique point uh, that we as foster families go through an experience, and that is we can be sitting having this conversation and, and literally, you know, maybe Jake's phone is ringing that there is a potential child uh, in need while he's doing this. And so that is exactly how that happens. And you literally have potentially just the time to drive there. Um, one of the cool things, though, is when you have a good support system and, and you've been able to build those connections is you're texting or calling those folks on your way. And um, my husband and I are also foster and adoptive parents. And I can remember a specific situation where we went on a Saturday to, to pick up a, um, a child and we had we already had. Um, a child using a crib, and we were picking up another one that needed a crib. And so by the time we had gotten home, some friends of ours had already brought a crib over and had it set up at our house, and we were ready to go within two hours of that call. And so just having those connections, just being able to call another family or friends and say, hey, we have a nine-year-old boy um, looks like he's wearing, you know, size 10, 12s. What do you have for clothes? And having clothes delivered to you by the end of the day is, is really what's awesome. And quite frankly, it's kind of essential for the retention and for the foster families in order to be able to continue to provide the good work that they do. Yeah. So now, Jake, with that idea in mind, I mean, she's serious that your phone could ring right now and, and you could be plus one for your family by dinner. Um, what is that emotion like when, when the phone rings and it's time? I mean, is it? I mean, it's got to be joyful. I mean, the, you know, you're able to to step out and and help a child in need and and show love in a unique way that possibly the child will remember if they're young, maybe not, but still living into that child and knowing that you're doing good works, right? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of emotions that go through when you get that phone call. I mean, like you said, probably the first emotion you have is, you know, excitement. You know, you're bringing a new child into your home 
and you're going to get to experience having another child. And, um, you know, even, you know, our kids have excitement when they hear that, okay, we're going to have a, a new placement. We're going to have somebody come into our house. Um, we're very upfront with them. And we, we always tell them we never know how long they're going to be with us because every case is different and you really have no idea how long they're going to be with you. But with that too is a sense of, you know, sorrow or sadness too, because you know that child's experiencing loss. You know, if they're old enough to know it, they're being taken from their parents. And you also know they're going to be very scared and have a, a sense of, you know, what, what just happened around it. And you also feel sadness for the parents because at some point they've made a decision that has led to the child having to go into foster care. And you really feel for them that their child is being taken away from them and going to a, a stranger as far as, as far as they know. Yeah. And, you know, I even think about it in terms of my family. If my kids were not at home with me, they would be confused. You know what I mean? If they had even, probably even if they went to stay with a family member for an extended period of time, they would be confused on what's happening. So I think from being able to see it from that child's perspective is so probably important and, and probably vital when it comes to compassion, right? Because, I mean, ideally you have to be compassionate towards the situation. I think one of the things that, that I've been going through at home is, you know, my goal is to always be a good parent. You know, like I want to be a happy, loving father. Sometimes easier said than done for sure. And I've, I've really noticed that one of the things that I've done is if it's been three weeks and I do everything I can to not raise my voice at my children. And because my kids were, you know, starting to raise their voice and, and talking back. And I have noticed a dramatic change. I change my situation, which is their environment. And next thing you know, they start to blossom and talk about their days more and what's making them sad. And I'm giving them this, trying to give them this comfortable place where they're safe. And, you know, and so I imagine that those, those situations when they come in confused, possibly angry, sad, you know, those all come into play into that environment. And so I imagine that that idea of love and being an outstanding parent is, is vital, you know? And I think that, I, I hope that when I say outstanding parent, it doesn't mean like you have to be this amazing person to give love to a child. Because I mean, how, Casey, how do you see it as somebody who, who sees a lot of these parents. I know that when me and my wife struggled to have children before we had ours, and, and we talked, you know, what are our options? And we were willing to step into foster care or adoption with no background in having children or raising children. We had nieces and nephews, but that's a vastly different experience. We're a family of faith, and we believe that, that those children were a blessing and that we could provide that they would bless us and yet we could find a way to bless them too if somebody who maybe is coming in who doesn't have background in parenting is there much of a difference is that some of the classes that they go through kind of help them with some of those well i think that's a really unique perspective on it for my husband and i personally when we started this process we were not parents um, we started this process in 2003 since 2003 we've cared for 59 children 
in our home. And so where I started in 2003 to where I am now, uh, my child development, child stages, experience with trauma, behavior, special needs is obviously vastly different. And so I think the benefit to, to having no parenting experience is you don't really have those expectations and those preconceived notions of, of what to expect as a parent. And so you're going through it. Most people are learning as much as they can during this time because they haven't parented before. Um, stages, growth development is obviously different on every child, whether it be twins, biological, fostered, or adopted children. The flip side to that of going through this when you have parents, it is you do have those expectations and, and you do have that knowledge and you have a comparison and an assessment. And so while it's exactly, you know, kind of opposites with those, I think that there's strong benefits in, in, in both of those. Those that have parented often feel more confident and comfortable, may have additional resources. Those that haven't parented may have more energy and time and less commitments and the ability to do more. So the one thing about being a foster parent in the state of Iowa is we are open to any type of family dynamics, religion, preferences or not. Gender, same-sex couples are welcome as much as couples that are not of the same sex. Uh, families of color, families that are not color. We are open and willing to work with any family who has the ability to meet the needs of the children, the requirements set forth by the state, and to meet those expectations. One of the things that we always tell families are that we're not looking for a child for your family. We are looking for a family for that child. And I think that's one of the things that Jake touched on too, is we are there for that child. Families that are just coming through this process to build their family, to get a playmate for their child because they can't have additional children or things like that, that's something we take really serious and really need to explore and look into with the families when that's their motivation. So one of the things that we look at through this process is what is the family's motivation? Why are they doing this? And families come through for all different reasons. I think our most common reasons that we have families coming through are they do want to build their family. They're struggling with some infertility issues. And so we really want to look at the coping skills, the grief and loss that that family has experienced through their own infertility. One of the other major reasons that we have people come through are those that are tied into a faith community that feel maybe this is a calling or that they were led here by by God or another family that they know that they have been talking with and have just really led them down this spiritual journey. And so those are also families that we, you know, are happy to work with and and that are part of our um, fostering family that we have. And so those families that come through with faith-based organizations and that support system, I would say that they're probably more at an advantage because they already have a built-in support system. And I, I really can't stress enough how important that support system is to fostering and keeping or maintaining the, the desire to foster. Just having that reliable connections and support to one another when you're having a rough day or it's a unique lens that not everybody can look through and see. And so when I talk about the emotions of fostering or um, 
court hearings or different things with that with very close other foster families. It's a lens that they can put on and have that compassion and understanding with me. And it may not just be things that I don't feel are going well. It could be that maybe the child is just really experiencing some behaviors and things because they miss their birth family and, you know, they want their mom. And, and let's be real, as we think about our own kids being taken from us or our own kids living with someone, I know when my kids are even with grandma and grandpa during summer breaks, I want them to miss me. I want them to talk about me. I want them to call and ask how I'm doing. I, I want those things as a mom to know that my kids want that. That's a personal desire that I have. The birth families that we are working with, they equally want that. They want their kids to miss them and to love them. They want to hear their voice. They want to see their activities or band concerts and things. They want to go on a field trip. Uh, They're in a position for whatever reason that they're not able to be that primary caregiver, but it doesn't mean that they don't love their children. I think that's a misconception. People think, the birth family has done something horrible and awful and shouldn't be allowed to see their kids. And I really think that's something that um, that paradigm shift that, that, that needs to be refocused at because it may be some situation that they are into. But in all of my experiences, I've never worked with birth parents who don't love their kids. They love them. They're just not able to maintain and to function in an appropriate manner at that point by the court system. It makes me think... In my house, especially in the summertime, being a contractor, I get pretty busy. And so there's times where I will be working a lot. And I've noticed last summer there was a time where I had way too much work, not enough guys to help me get it done. And I was gone from sunup to sundown. And there would be a week at a time where I didn't see my kids because they were in bed when I got home. Either I was still sleeping when they headed off in the morning or I was gone before they woke up. And I would notice that after three or four days, my wife would tell me that their demeanor has changed. At first, we just thought maybe they were just acting up. They had a bad day. And then we started to notice that the next week when I'm gone all week long, three, four days in, they start acting up again. And so my being absent directly attributed to them. Kind of what you were saying about when you're gone, they're a little sad, you know, and and mine acted out a little bit. And so what that did for me was that changed my perspective. You know, that made me realize that I needed to make it a priority to be home. And so I I would hope that the biological parents, I hope that that's a driving factor for them. I would say that it is. The difference is they don't get to just change their schedule to yeah. have more time with their kids. Exactly. They have to change they, something. There's there's the Department of Human Services workers who are involved in it. There's a court system who's involved in it. There's attorneys who are involved in it. There are workers, who, um, professional workers who supervise the visits and do reports to the court that are involved in it. So for the birth families, it's extremely unfortunate. They can't just make a change in their schedule to be with their kids or to go to the park with their kids. It takes about six or seven different people to make that dynamic work. And I think that's kind of where Jake was talking about being able to mentor and work side by side with those birth parents, being able to to have some of those extra interactions to allow them the phone calls, allow them to go trick-or-treating with you if that's something your family does, allow pictures of different events and fully participate. Because the reality is 
the goal and the purpose of fostering is to reunify those children. So fostering is about fostering to reunify children. And so what is most important and what I when I teach the classes to potential foster families is one of the things I really focus on is, listen, I know how to take my kids to the pediatrician. I know how to advocate for them when they're sick. I know that they need their immunizations. I know how to go to a school conference and talk about things in an IEP meeting at a school and to get those things done. But my job is to help mentor that birth mom, that birth dad, that birth family to advocate and to do what they need to do for that child. So it's it's the birth family attending medical appointments for me. It's me role modeling appropriate questions to ask to a physician. They may not have been taught those things in their life. That's on me to help them become confident and to be able to meet the child's needs. So in a in a different twist of things, when I have a child who can reunify with the birth family, that feels like a greater success to me. That means I was able to really connect and work with that birth family. We were able to preserve that deep connection, that biological connection. Now, not every case is that appropriate for reunification, which is why we have judges in a court system to make that decision. But in in the cases that it is, success to me as a foster parent is when that family can reunify and when I can go to medical appointments and sit back and listen to them advocate on those child's needs or to see those school grades increase. That is awesome. That is the part that makes this job worth it in my eyes. In my mind then, that really, that opens up a whole new area because no longer are you just adding a, a single or a child or, and a sibling to the mix you're adding a whole family to your family. They might not be sleeping under your roof at the time, but you're going to be deeply involved with somebody else. Yeah, so. getting those graduation invitations, a wedding announcements. Um, my daughter and I just went this summer to stay with one of the kids in our home who just had her first baby. Being able to do those things, um, I should clarify the child that we were caring for. She was the one who had her first child. So watching her go through adolescence, teen years, um, graduating high school, and now becoming a mom was something that we got to experience and share. And that just is what makes this worth it because you are a family. And one of the benefits also in fostering is if the family is unable to reunify for whatever reasons that the court has, has deemed that, it, that that can't continue and it may result in adoption, not every foster family is interested in adopting children. And in fact, we really appreciate those that are able to do what I would consider the toughest job of fostering and, and then reunifying or moving that child towards a forever home, um, a home that's willing to adopt that child. In those situations, that family can become your family. It's not a family living under your roof, but it is a family that you're deeply connected to through a child. And I think that's a really neat component, too, that the fostering process brings in two very different families and brings them combined into one also through this process. And I think that that mentorship part of having somebody with you you know, being able to mentor somebody in that way, that's fulfilling too. And so, now, Jake, how many foster children have you had through your home? You know, we've, we've only had probably 
seven or eight. Okay. Um, they've been more longer term placements. And um, one thing you learn as a foster parent is when a child comes into your family and you are able to reunite with them, there is a sense of loss for your family. And so one of those things is, is a lot of times we take up to a year, maybe even a little bit more of a break um, to let our, our family heal from that and uh, recover from that. Just those kind of emotions to settle down a little bit? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, you even get emotional talking about it. So I'm sure. One of the big things kind of step back is gave a quick background, you know, and whatever to foster parents and, okay, do they have children or they don't have children? I can only speak for our case is that we didn't have children at the time and we decided to do foster care. And so as Casey kind of pointed out, the process is we reached out, we took the leap of faith, called that 800 number and went to that first meeting and said, okay, you know, these are the questions we have. We're we're anxious, we're excited, we aren't quite sure what this whole process was. And they really walked us through the process, gave us the expectations um, of what fostering was all about. And, you know, we came out of there and we didn't know exactly what we were going to do. It was kind of up in the air, talked a lot about it, prayed a lot about it and said, okay, this is something we we really want to do. We want to foster, we want to be able to mentor these families. And we really went into it with a heart of being able to reunite children back with their biological parents. We were able to go through the PSMAP training. It gave us all the skills that we needed to be able to start out being a successful um, foster parent. One of the things that Casey talked about is kind of building that village or support system. And a lot of those PSMAP people kind of become your village and support person that you walk through because you have something in common with them. And so like she said, it, it can be a little overwhelming. You know, you might get that first phone call and you do only have Maybe let's say our first placement, we had about a three-hour notice, and we went from zero kids to three kids. But the great part about it is that village is you reach out to them and say, hey, you know, this is our situation. This is what we need. And it's amazing what families that are former foster parents or maybe they've been touched by the adoption system in some way that you didn't even realize are willing to provide to you and help you with. One of our, our great friends at the time, you know, we had three kids come in and I'm like, oh, I'm going to go grow, grab pizza. And my wife's like, you're going to do what? <laughs> and so she's like, how about you give them a call? They can come over, they can go around and get the pizza and we'll try to get everything settled as we're setting up a crib and a toddler bed and everything else in the mix of all this. So that's one thing I really wanted to come back and hit on is that support system and how vital it is. I mean... A great example is we just took another placement and we were not prepared to have an infant come into our home. And the next thing we turned around, we had four car seats sitting in our living room because everybody knew that we needed that need and everybody just responded. And by the time we had a chance to say, hey, we're, we're good, we had four car seats there. So, I mean, that's one of the things that if you're looking at this from the outside and really concerned about, okay, how am I going to be able to, to do this? It, it's really that support system that, that makes it doable. And so one thing with that, you know, as you're talking about mentoring and whatever, one of the great things is one of our greatest support system is our church. And talking about bringing people in and following our faith is that a lot of times we invite those families to come to church with us. And it kind of goes with is that when I look back on it, I, I took it for granted. We went to church. My aunt and uncle were there. My grandpa and grandma were there. Everybody was there, you know, and I just took it 
for granted oh, as a no. child you know all no, those people were there you know to, to to support you and, and to do all that and so that, that's like one of the greatest things is you know as we talk about our faith base uh, of being able to do that is, is to introduce a lot of these parents had a faith connection when they were smaller when they're a child a lot of things happened along the way and they've lost that faith-based connection lost that hope lost that idea that somebody really cares for them somebody really loves them and give them that that chance of hope able to bring them kind of back in the church reconnect them with god and they're able to feel that that love again i think is a big piece of it and they get that new support structure back in right i mean that's it seems to be a really key point and that's even been with my children i mean just the people who your kids getting bigger well next year you're going to need these clothes i mean they show up with a garbage bag full of clothes for you and you're just thankful that you didn't have to go out and spend $300 on summer clothes for your kids. Our church has always been a, an amazing support structure for us, too. Kind of getting back to where Casey was talking about, too, being able to bring that family, and they actually become a part of your family. You may not have any blood ties or anything with them, but, but they really do become part of your family. A great example was this past weekend. We had a, a little one with us for about nine months. We were able to reunify her with their family. We kept those ties. We built those ties while we were foster parents. And with that, we get to see her probably about once every month or so. And one of the great things I got to experience as a dad was to be able to take her to a father-daughter dance. But with that is I got to go with the, the parents also and experience that with them. So it's one of those great, great ties, great connections that even though Technically, we're, we're done fostering the child. You know, they've done everything they needed to do. They did exceeded expectations. A great family now, but they're still part of our family now. We'll, we'll always consider them a part of our family. We'll always include them in everything. Um, you know, they absolutely have their family too. So a lot of times they aren't always able to come to big celebrations and stuff like that. But, you know, we've been to birthday parties and everything else. And so it's just an amazing experience to be able to see that child back with the family and see that direct family, but not only that direct family, but the grandparents, aunt and uncles and everything get, get to see that. See, and that sounds to me, looking from the outside, I would think that I would be equipped to maybe care for a child. But then I think, oh, I have to be with the family. And that would make me a little bit nervous. But... I think from the sounds of it, you, ma you make it sound like it's a, it's a really neat process where they're thankful for, for what you're doing and you're able to kind of walk alongside of them, not as a parent, but as a peer that's this backup for them almost. Yeah, exactly. And there is a lot of you know, anxiety, fear that goes along with that first time that a lot of times the first time you meet the parents is at court. There is a lot of anxiety and you're like, okay, what are these parents going to be mad at me because I now have their child? They don't. That's one of the th questions that can go through your head. And it's the exact opposite that I've usually found is they're very grateful for you for taking their child and giving them a safe place. They know they're loved for, they know they're cared for. One of the great things is over Christmas time, it's very hard to coordinate everybody's schedule. You're talking about whether it be the support workers that help 
supervised visits or anything is very hard like that. We had a great opportunity to go and say, hey, you know, on Christmas Day, we have a couple hours of free time. We're more than willing to supervise the visit. You know, I took the child to the family and they're able to spend some time on Christmas with their child. I was like, you know, expecting the mom to be very grateful, everything. It was the entire family was there and so grateful that they got to spend time. And I am now a piece of their family. I can walk into whatever meeting, um, whether it be a family teaming or whatever. We know each other on a first name basis. We talk about what's been going on with each other's families, you know, like you were talking about, you know, you try to be a good parent, but you also, you know, share the stories of, you know, yeah, it's been a little bit rough, you know, we had this happen or that happen, you know, and you can both laugh about it because you're like, okay, we've experienced that too. So Yeah, and it, they're not alone yeah. in that. And you talking about possibly the first time you're meeting them is at court. Um, I used to, I did, took EMT certifications and, and went through that and I was on an ambulance and one of the things that I always found when I did that was I meet people on the worst day of their lives. Whether somebody had a heart attack, you can't always judge that situation by the first meeting. You know what I mean? And so I would anticipate even if on that day things were standoffish or things were tense, that's not a reflection of how that relationship would move forward. One that comes to mind to me is is a heart attack that we walked and had to transport a patient to the hospital. and. The wife was distraught, deservingly so. And, you know, at the time she was yelling and aggressive and, you know, we just need to get our work done. But yet she came to the hospital and when everything got settled down, we got him in there, dropped, dropped the gentleman off and the wife was there. And you know what? She was thankful. And, you know, I think that that immediate situation, I met her on the worst day of her life. You know, she potentially lost her husband. But yet on the end, when it set in like, hey, this this young man, you know, at the time I'm, I was young and this young man's doing the best he can to preserve my my the love of my life. And then she was thankful, showed gratitude and not, not that it's about that by any means, but I could not judge that woman by my first impression. Yeah, and, and I think you bring up a great point. A lot of times when you are meeting the family for the first time, it is in a stressful situation. And so you may come out of it thinking, wow, they didn't talk to me. They didn't acknowledge me or they seem like they might have been mad at me. But I think you're great to bring point that you're meeting them at a, a bad point in time and, and those feelings at all don't exist. It's being very grateful and whatever it's, they're going through such a stressful period of time in that point in time that you don't really know how to read read that. Yeah. And I think one of the things as a child welfare agency is we are so thrilled when we have foster families really embrace the birth family interactions and connections as Jake just described a few situations. We know that is such a key component in into the relationships um, and also a direct um, result for reunification as well. So in Polk County, the reunification rates are around 65 to 70%, meaning that 65 to 70% of the children that are coming into foster care are reunified to the birth parents and to birth family members. And so to be able to do that and to, to walk with the birth family through that process, that, that is what's really unique. And that is one thing we really encourage and want our foster families to be able to do and embrace. Kind of moving into a different, on a, on a little different note, 
One of the things that um, I noticed is you had a map up and it had, what was it, six different areas of our state, of, of Iowa, that are covered. And then I think I heard that in the area that you cover, there's roughly 15 children a day who are in need of yeah, a so, loving home? Yeah, so the state of Iowa is divided into five areas. Um, for the purposes of child welfare services. So there's Western Iowa is one service area, Northern Iowa is one service area, Eastern, um, right down the border is one area, Cedar Rapids and the Des Moines area that I work in. And we have 15 counties in that Des Moines area that we serve. So we serve Story and Boone County North, Dallas County West, Polk County, and then 11 Southern counties from Ringgold, Decatur, and Wayne on the Missouri border. And so in those 15 counties um, for last calendar year, there were 700 kids. So this is from January 1 to December 31st of 2017. So we had 700 kids in just those 15 counties that were removed from birth family and needing foster care. And out of those 700 kids, you know, the gender for those kids, there were 348 that were female and 352 that were male. So almost exactly at 350 uh, in regards to male and female with that. But I think what might be surprising is the age group. So although there were 700 kids, 314 of them were between the ages of zero and five. And I think one of the things that we focus on in our recruitment efforts at Four Oaks Family Connections is we want families to take older kids. We need families that are willing to take older kids, that are willing to open their home up to older kids. And having 314 kids in that zero to five range is, is really completely opposite of that. But one of the things to think about with that age range is a lot of those are infants that are removed at birth due to maybe um, testing positive for, for drugs. And so with that though, the families that foster younger children have to really be open to that fostering and reunification process. There are multiple visits a week, which are much more, there's a greater number of visits between the birth family and that child, the younger the child is. And why is that? Because we know attachments begin developing in utero and right after birth. And so the visits will increase, sibling contact will increase during that time, and the amount of time that the child is in the system is also generally shorter during that time. The other thing to think about with that age range is with the goal being specific to reunification during the age range, we have to have foster families like Jake um, and his family, and, and like he stated, willing to work with the birth parents and connect with them and really mentor them because that's the ultimate goal. And kids ages 6 to 12, that's a difficult population for us to find uh, homes for kids in that range, and we had about 216 of those children last year. It becomes difficult because it's kind of that adolescence age where kids are trying to find their own identities and who they are, and often their sibling groups at that age. When they're younger, maybe it's the first child coming in, so there isn't a sibling group. But then we have that teen group and all the hormones and body changes and puberty that kids and teenagers go through, plus just the independence they want. It's a really hard age. And so for six years, my husband and I focused specifically on teens. Um, and even more so pregnant teens and teen moms. And so 
that was just a really unique time for us. And I really enjoyed caring for kids of that age. It was nice to have that independence for them. And also they're at an age where they can really reciprocate and acknowledge what it is that you're doing or not doing. Um, and quick to point that out to you too, as most teens do, but they really, you can really build that relationship and that connection. And as Jake talked about, when you first meet families, there can be anxiety and things. And I think it's easy for families to relate that, you know, when your kids start daycare or start a new school year, parents have just as much anxiety with the teachers that the kids have, right? And you don't know this person and you feel the need the first couple weeks to tell them absolutely everything about your kid um, without them allowing them to kind of get to know your kid and meet your kid. It's kind of the same when you have the birth parents. You just want to like share everything that the kid's doing and everything and know you don't know them very well, but it's just like the school year. By the time the the holidays, the Christmas break rolls around, you know, the emails, the relationship that you have built with that, that teacher or those providers for your kids, it's strong. And it's the same with the birth families that you're working at. By a few, a few months into this process, you've got a connection and a relationship and you're getting to know one another uh, during that time. And so that looks vastly different how the school year starts to how it ends. It looks vastly different from the first time you meet the family to the relationship that you're able to establish and build. And so, again, that is a very uh, key component to this process, too. I mean, you kind of went through the needs and what the age groups and those things are. Are you in need of more families? Absolutely. We are always in need of more families until we have, until no child ever has to go to a shelter there is a need for foster families. And the reality of it is, I love what Jake said when he said they decided to stay right here in the Des Moines and metro area. And a lot of family are seeking to build their family through private adoptions, domestic, international. And if, if that's where you know, you're feeling led to go, then I, I firmly believe that that's where you should go. But for other families that maybe aren't sure, we all think of Iowa nice, right? We're Midwesterns, we're nice, we're great. We wave at everybody when we meet down the road. Help me explain why the shelter is constantly, constantly full of children that need a home to go to then. That's not Iowa nice. That's a good point. And so one of the things we need to really figure out is the shelter right here in Des Moines. There's always children in that shelter. And so until we have a day that we don't ever have to put a child in shelter because we weren't able to find them a home, we are always needing homes. So as we had 700 kids last calendar year come into care in just the 15 counties that we serve, we only had 312 homes. So 700 kids needed a home and we only had 312 available homes for them. And I think, like Jake said earlier, you know, sometimes those homes need a break and that emotional step back, too. So just because there's 300 and some homes doesn't mean that those 300 and homes are always actively participating. And not only do they maybe need a break or time away, they could be going through their own personal issues or moving or job changes or pregnancies or their own um, issues for their own family that make them not an option at that point. Or maybe they're already full and at capacity and already are caring for one or two children already. And so that doesn't make them available as well. So again, there's always a need for that. Um, I know I've kind of talked about the 15 counties that we serve, um, but when you look at Four Oaks Family Connections and, and the four areas of the state that they serve, so this would be 69 counties in Iowa, there were over 2,000 children 
in, in 69 counties of Iowa, over 2,000 children that needed a place to go to last year, and there were only 1,000 homes for those kids to go to. So definitely a strong need for homes. If families are listening to this and it's something that they've been thinking about, but for whatever reasons they don't feel that this is right for them, I would just ask that they take the information that they're learning, they take this information and they share it with other people. Um, listeners can be the best recruitment tool that we have as well. Our faith-based communities are awesome. Um, help us get into your church. Help us get connected to, to your faith community, no matter what it is. Let us help and share our message. Seek us out for that. Share this message with other people. Encourage them that way. I know as a foster parent, as a professional in the system, one of the things that I'm constantly hearing, and Jake, maybe you can um, assist with this too, is so many times families tell you, oh, that's so great that you do that, but I could just never do that. I get so attached to an animal and a bird. You know, and in a way that's slightly offensive because that implies that something must be wrong with my heart in order for me to be able to do this. Like I have a, some attachment, right? And the reality is, nope. It just means I stepped out and I took a chance on it. And I think we've all experienced loss at some point from an animal, a person that we've loved, moving away from a job and coworkers that we love. We have lost, we have all lost something in our life. And we have been able to pick ourselves up and to move forward. And this process, it's not about you as a family just getting something that you want. It's about building on that, building that additional birth family into your family, building another family that you've connected with through adoption. It's a growing. It's not losing. It's a growing. It's a gain that you can get from this. And, and I just encourage families to really look at that in a different perspective that you're not caring for a child and then losing that child you're caring for a child and you're going to maintain connections to that child and to that family or to the family who adopted that child or to the family who's now caring for that child. It's a gain. It's something to enhance and and improve. Yeah, no, I understand that. And I guess, you know, that idea that somebody, because they can deal with that loss, you I think that you could take that wrong. You know, you could take that as, you know, you were not emotional or you don't be able to build those connections but then on the other side of that that person maybe they are just so scared of their own emotions they're so scared of being able to come out of their own comfort zone and and i know that one of the things that the my faith has built in me is that i'm free to take a risk and if i get hurt I know how to recover. If I find myself sad, I know what can bring me happiness. I think that that's a horrible excuse and it saddens me so much. You know, you're talking, you guys cover the 69 counties and in Iowa we have 99 counties. So that's majority, 2,000 children and only a thousand of them get placed. That's, that's a sad statement. I don't know. I, you know, I, I just don't know what to do with that. So that's why I'm so glad that we can bring at least some information to people. Because I have a feeling that this is a national problem. 
It's Absolutely, prob- it's it probably is. not local to us. No, it is not. It's a, it is a struggle. It is a national issue. It, it is a very big struggle, for yeah. sure. And so now, Jake, she she touched a little bit on that that feeling, and I know you covered it a little bit already, talking about how you know those those emotions still come up even even when you think back to previous placements and previous children that were in your house. Is it all worth it? It's definitely worth it. I always say that God's plan is much bigger than what we what we ever imagined. I was one of those people, you know, as we talk about our faith, I sat in the back of the church. I could find the back back pew. I was there. I'd rather sit out in the lobby probably than, than sit right there. I mean, that that's where I was 10, 12 years ago. You know, God brought us a long ways. Um, one of the things that, that happened a long way that we had no idea was going on is one of the journeys that my wife and took wife and I took right after marriage was going through Financial Peace University. And that got us to a spot where we became financially sound, but little did we know that we were gonna be reaching out in faith, go through PS map, go through everything, and as we went through the class, we're like, okay, we probably need a different vehicle. So all of a sudden, we end up at a dealership. A family had just traded in a minivan, and we buy a minivan. And we're like, <laughs> why are we buying a minivan? Because we don't have any kids. But, you know, it, it was that whole progression in faith and, and the journey. And along the way, just like we said, we built so many connections. We have people in our lives now that are closer than than what we ever imagined in our wildest dreams. So I can't imagine life being any different than it is today. But looking back on it six, seven years ago, I I didn't see this coming. And first off, my family vehicle <laughs> is a minivan. <laughs> and anybody who talks bad about minivans is because they've never driven one. <laughs> The heated seats, the televisions, they're wonderful. Smooth riding vehicles. But uh, no, but I I get what you're saying there. When I had children, especially when I relay it to looking at my faith, right? One of the things that, that I think about a lot is that I struggled in the beginning of my faith understanding a father's love. Um, my father wasn't always in my life. And so when people said, Jesus loves you, you know, or God loves you like you're his son, well, what does that actually mean to me? Because I didn't quite understand what a father's love could be until I had children. And then it is, for, for somebody who doesn't have children, it is crazy to try to explain to them the amount of love and forgiveness that you can apply to that little child. And when I think about it in the terms of, of my faith, that, that I am loved that much by somebody and that I love somebody that much. And then I look at somebody who's willing to take in children, introduce them into their family, show them that same kind of love and then release them. And they still have that foundation. That's why I was so excited to hear that you invite the families to come to church with you and to come to do those things because I'm not a person who understood love like that. 
it took me a long time to grow into it. I had to grow my own family to understand it. And I think that the sooner that people can understand the love aspect of the Christian faith, I think the sooner it makes sense to them. You know, it's not, it's not, it, it takes it from being a story and a fairy tale and, and these things that are hard to believe to something that is understandable. When you look at your own child and then you think that you, you are that same child to somebody else. And I think if you look at it, any major change or any major introduction you make to your life is you're always looking for the perfect time. You always think that, okay, tomorrow is going to be the perfect day to do this. Or maybe we're not quite ready to do this because we need to have A, B, and C in place before we do it. You're always looking for that perfect time. And after living it, walking it, there's never going to be a perfect time. It's stepping out in that faith and going, okay, you know, we're ready to care. We're ready to do this. Let's do it. And kind of like we went back to is that most time you get the phone call and it's at the most inopportune time. It could be at work. I didn't have, you know, all my projects had winded down at work the week before. Everything was fine. You know, you step into the week and all of a sudden you have 15 projects on your plate and uh, the phone rings and we, we have a child that we'd like to place with you. Everything in your body says, no, we're too busy. We can't handle that step out in faith and go, yep, we can be there. We'll figure it out. We'll make it happen. That shows the heart of somebody. And I couldn't agree more that it's, you know, we started, I started my family with my wife a little bit later in life. And I always thought the same thing, you know, well, I'm going to get established, you know, let's get a house. Let's, let's have all our ducks in a row before we have kids. You know what? It didn't help. <laughs> you know, I mean, be the, the only time, the only thing that you can really schedule to, it works at a good time is when you mow the yard. I'm going to wait till tomorrow when it's sunny. You know, I mean, other than that, you can't, you can't plan for it. You can't, you can prepare. I took, I took these father <laughs> classes where one of them, we went to the hospital. The hospital gives it to him for free. It's, you know, I don't know how to be a dad before you have a kid. And they bring in these parents, you know, these other dads, and they separate them. Are you having a boy? Are you having a girl? And we didn't find out. So I just went to the boy class and luckily I had one it did not prepare me you know a 30 minute class on how to change a diaper I still didn't know how to change a diaper when I got the kid home there's no good time it's I think that it's it's what your heart desires you know what I mean my my heart knew that I needed you know I, I desired a child and that was what we wanted for our family so I think that if somebody's interested, I mean, from what I'm understanding from you, if somebody's interested in becoming a parent through foster care, there's no time like the present. There's no time like the present. And and don't be afraid of, you know, especially if you don't have children, is do I have the skills to be a parent? You know, do I, am I going to be able to do this? Don't let that hold you back. Kind of like what you just got done saying is we, we have two different perspectives. You got to go through the class and said, okay, I got to go through the class, but at the end of the day, it wasn't until it actually happened that I really put to use that I really understood how to change a diaper after the first couple times, you know, whatever. I kind of chuckle because at church, I get to walk by and I get to see those classes, you know, and be like the parents sitting in there and they have the six to nine months to prepare for their child. I'm like, wow, that would have been nice. But on the flip side, it's one of those things that if you're willing to show that love, you don't 
have to be the perfect person. You don't have to be the perfect parent, but providing that love, the stability, and learning along the way with, with the child. I learn new things as a parent every day and build my you know skills as being a better parent, and I still have a long ways to go. So I would say that that's the other big thing that's holding you back that you don't think you have the ability to do it. I, I think you probably do if it's in your heart to care for that child. Well, and from what I understand too, the foster agencies provide though the class that you spoke about. Yep, um, we the the ten week PS map class yeah. that we went through. You know, gave us a lot of the background and the skills that you needed. You, the great part about it is in Iowa. You get ongoing training, whether that be if you're, you know, refreshing your knowledge on CPR so that you aren't quite afraid of, okay, if somebody falls off the slide, what am I going to do? Or something like that. That's fresh in your memory. You're doing it. But you're also learning how to deal with trauma. You're learning how to deal with, with different backgrounds, different ethnicities. Can't even pronounce it. But like a great example is maybe taking a African-American child into your house and you have no idea how to deal with the the hair. I mean, that was like one of the big things that really concerned my wife. You know, I don't know how to care for that type of hair and get that type of training on how, how to take care of that and how to handle it. I mean, that's something that you wouldn't even think about until you were in the situation. One of the things that the class that the reason that it brought to my mind is I squandered that nine months. I took a 30-minute class. You take 10-week class and then come back. So it sounds like the agencies are just really there to support and build you up. They, they're, they're not going to set you up for failure. Most definitely. They, they aren't going to set you up for failure. And you know, once you take the placement, if you're having a need or an issue or anything like that it's only a phone call and you have your support worker that knows your family knows what's going on is more than happy to come out and provide the support that they need or they're able to put you in touch with people that are able to provide yeah. that, that support that was kind of one of my next questions like so Casey as as the agency so a child gets placed and then you just realize like wow I cannot do this. What happens? Yeah. So, of course, there may be situations and times that not every child coming in could be a great match for you. Maybe a child is not doing well at my house and isn't a great match for me, but they go to Jake's house and they're a great match and they're thriving and doing well. We all know we have different parenting styles, techniques, and personalities. There are some people that maybe it's just a, a conflict we don't get along with. It, it's no different when it comes to caring for children. So while we recognize that those situations may happen, they, they are rare, but we certainly may have those situations. And so a family never has to say yes to a placement uh, when they are called for a child. They do, they do not have to say yes when we, when we call them and it's not a great time for them. Families do have the ability to say this is not a good time. We cannot do that. Um, and families, if it's not working out and there's a conflict with that child into the home or the family or the dynamics in the family, 
Sometimes it's not even anything that the child's done, but let's say a, a situation where one of the foster parents is getting transferred for a job thing and maybe they're moving out of state. That has nothing to do with the child or that child's behavior, but we are at a point where that child's needing a new home. Um, and, and so through communication and partnership with the Department of Human Services, another home can be located for that child as well. And so in those situations, we, we are able to meet the needs and, and to uh, relocate that child. We also know though every move for a child is detrimental to that child and can create more trauma so we try to minimize and reduce those risks as much as possible. So for families that maybe um, employment could be changing or maybe a pregnancy is, is going to occur or an a known thing might be happening, then we discourage them from going through this process at, at this time. We also recognize that fostering is not for everyone, and it's not for everyone at a certain point in their life. Some people come to this much later in life and realize, you know what, we're ready. This is the right time for us, and they feel good about that. And so that's definitely something to think about too. So. Uh, recognizing that this is not for everyone. That's why the message of just being able to share it or just help us go into your organization, community, your your faith-based community, and, and any clubs, organizations that you belong to, if you can help us get into to those and, and be able to share our message with other people about the need for foster parents in this area, in the Des Moines area, is extremely helpful for us as well. If somebody would like to become involved or knows a place where maybe you guys could present fostering sure. to, I know early in the in the episode you gave us some some information on how to contact you, where to find you. Could you give that to us one more time and then just kind of let us know how how we can get a hold of you? If there's any other ways that somebody can help. What, what can they do to, to help assist these children? Well, if this is something that you or someone you know is interested in, or if you're wanting to get a hold of us and help us connect to um, one of the connections that you have to be able to share our message or a faith-based community for us to come do a presentation at your church service, or even if we can present information to put into your handout or bulletin, that phone number to call is 844 380 2485 or you can find us on the website at fouroaksfamilyconnections.org we are located in the Ankeny area we have offices in Ames and Sheraton as well in this area there are other various Four Oaks Family Connections offices throughout the state as well if you have any needs and are listening and located in those areas as well perfect and then Jake before we wrap up could you just I know that you've shared a lot about your life and your experience with us, but if somebody is really on the fence and thinking about foster care as a way to to be involved with helping some of these children, could you just leave them with a little bit of something to think about? The big thing I'd leave you with is pray about it. So that's the big thing that led us towards foster care is praying about it and we didn't see that at the beginning of our journey but definitely at the end we see it so I, I think the other thing is talk talk with your fam, family and friends um, about foster care talk it through everything that goes with it the other thing is maybe you can find a contact of a foster parent that's somewhere near to you whether it's through church or another organization or just reach out to Poor Oaks and be able to talk to a family that's walked through it and get to hear everything that they've got to experience and go through. 
Well, that sounds amazing. Thank you guys so much but, for the opportunity. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'd like to say one more thing, too, is that, you know, um, you know, through this is, a, you know, as Casey brought up, not maybe everybody is meant to be a foster parent and whatever, but there's a lot of different other ways that you can you can help. Is There's also families that provide respite care that, you know, that the adoptive family wants to go on a, on a vacation, get that short break of maybe two to three days and be able just to kind of sit back, regroup with their family and do that. That's always an option where maybe you're just helping the family out for a week. And so you don't have to make that long-term commitment of I'm going to take a placement for three months or six months or whatever. And then the other thing is, is that, you know, we have people in our lives that are approved by DHS and have the background check so that they're able to come over to our house, they're able to watch our kids, and we're able to go to the grocery store or maybe go to a movie or do different things like that. So it really takes an entire village around the foster care system, and maybe you can be just a small piece of that village and really help somebody. It doesn't mean maybe you have to take that big initial leap and say, this is what we're going to do. You can kind of ease your way into it and say, you know, maybe we're just going to get background checked and be able to help that family watch a child for a couple hours and allow them to just get a break and be able to go see a movie together and be able to come back. So I think that's the other big thing is that, you know, it, it definitely takes a village and we appreciate everybody that, that helps us. Thank you guys so much for sharing so much information today. It was, it was wonderful just to hear the stories, you know, hear from Jake about how it's worked in his life and kind of get the scoop from Casey on, you know, how the system works and operates and the needs we have. So Thank you guys so much for being here. Thanks. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to Casey and Jake talk about foster care and talk about how it can not only affect a child, but a whole family. If you have any inclination that you may desire to participate in foster care i cannot tell you enough how great that could probably be for a a whole nother family or or multiple families so casey told you how you can get a hold of four oaks foster care if you're in central iowa or eastern iowa but i know that you know now we have spread across the country and around the world so At least in the U.S., I'm sure that there will be resources for you. Look up your county, your state, uh, and see how you can get active in foster care. Let me know on the Facebook page at God Watch Live. If it's something you're interested in, I would love to hear your story. Please stay in touch. Again, visit our website at GodWatchLive.com. Love to hear from you there as well. Have a great week and be blessed.